Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. All right, we're back. Last call, LarkCast. Thank you for, man, subscribing, listening, liking, and pressing in. Last calls are designed to uh, be a bit of a a moment for us to respond to the conversation that's happening around the LarkCast. We are in conversation and community with the people who are pressing in, and it's our opportunity to like take what people are saying and respond to that. And also maybe a couple cool things that we didn't necessarily get to. So we're going to actually get right into it uh, today. I'm Tony. Russ is here with me. What's up, Russ? Not much, man. Not I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you kick it off because uh, you've actually been fielding a couple of good, good questions and some people processing some things, especially on the, um, this, I, the parables of the kingdom. So kick us, kick us off, man. Well, I will. I will do that, Tony. I will take it from here. Um, but before I do, quick commercial. Can I do the first ever commercial on the LarkCast? Yes. I'm going to make it really fast. Never done this one of these before on here. But dude, um, whoever's hearing this, if you don't already know by now, Lark's, Lark's book, man, our flagship resource is now published and available anywhere and everywhere on Amazon, dude. Watch out. Watch Come out. On. Come on. All man. you have to do is research in uh search in Amazon reclaim Johnson. But if you want it to come up faster, search reclaim Sourcey. Yeah. And, and the only reason it- it's faster is because my last name is is less letters than yours. Yeah. And I found that if you do reclaim Russ Johnson, like the whole Amazon account gets taken over and it's just <laughs> me and my author profile. Seriously? <laughs> No, dude. Oh, I was going to say, well, last time we tried searching for it, like some de thatcher for your lawn came up. So I don't know what's going yeah, on. That with was reclaim. pretty, that was pretty amazing, but yes, yes. The book is out. It's reclaimed. It's out. Go to Amazon. You can also go to our website, larksite.com and you can click and reclaim in the menu and a page will pop up kind of talking, giving you some insights and some images of it, et cetera. And there's also a link there that'll take you if you want to purchase it from there. But if you're new to this, just know that Reclaim seeks to help the global church. That's that's anyone and everyone who believes uh, retrieve its message of indiscriminate grace and reimagine its ministry within freedom and friendships. Boom. It's a great resource. We've been able to track it for the last seven years. A lot of great feedback um, around the country and beyond. So it's really cool to see this resource that we've been working and using for a while just become available anywhere and everywhere. There it is. So cheers to you, man on this cheers to you russell yeah good job man yeah thanks man feels Thank good you. to be here feels good to get a project done get it out in the world yes start yes, making some money so buy that book so i can get rich <laughs> Dude, that was only that was only true i think we make like five bucks a book so <laughs> yeah so here we go um last call picking up on a few things had one great question, man, that came in in light of some of our recent podcasts, which I feel like ties in really directly, man, to um, the one that just dropped um, called Caught in the Net, where we unpacked that parable about the net. 
And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this. This is from one of our listeners. It says, uh, the chasm that I'm approaching in the, rigi- in the religiosity that I am struggling to let go of is the conversation about salvation that you guys are having. It felt right to hear that salvation and faith is there. It's just there. And it's, this, and it's the necessity of someone seeing it. And once they do, okay, that they then can come to the table of Jesus. I can see how Jesus has his, in his, in his love, as it makes that possible, that, that we can just simply awaken to what's already there for us. Um, but I wrestle with it because all of my life and in all of the, what I've been taught by the church for years and years and years is just this idea that, no, it's what we have to do ABC, okay? And by doing so, then we can come to the table. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with passages where Jesus mentions like the camel um, and in the, the impossibility of a camel, right? Trying to get through the eye of a needle. Like, like where does that come in? Where does that fit in in the conversation about salvation and the parables? So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was cool. It was I, like a good I question. I feel like man, that or... is the, the question. You know, like, the, <laughs> like people who listen in on what we're saying, that is like the capital T-H-E, the question, um, yeah. you know, that, that we get. It's a good one, man. Um, and I think, you know, like, Picking up on what they're, you know, referring to, I found myself, you know, just, you know, wanting to respond and just say, hey, number one, thanks for reaching out. Great question. It's definitely the question and something we're all thinking about and wrestling with, just to be clear. Um, Where I find some encouragement is by going to the context that was referenced about the the camel, right, in the eye of a needle. Um, Jesus in that setting compares the impossibility of someone doing what they need to obtain salvation to the impossibility of a camel making its way through the eye of a needle. In other words, you've got this rich young ruler in the story there that was referenced who just rattled off his list of accomplishments to obtain salvation. Righteousness literally is what that means. Jesus, it seems like knowing this dude doesn't realize that his best efforts aren't even close to the perfection that's needed, reveals a level of love for strangers that this guy can't grasp, right? Tells him to sell everything he owns. Go give it to the poor. Um, While simultaneously saying this, Jesus also reveals what this guy actually trusts in, which is his money, okay? I think Jesus throws this additional understanding of love on top of this guy's list of accomplishments, basically just to bring him to his knees. Um, Because it's upon seeing that, that he has to, you know, that he does what he does, right? Where it says that he literally walks away sad. Um, but I think that he walks away sad because he thinks salvation is something that he has to do. It's something that he has to accomplish, something he has to bring about. And of course, what we're seeing in the parables is if salvation's on us, man, we're all screwed. Our, our chances are about as, as good as uh, a camel making its way through the eye of a needle. Right. So, And I think too, like to answer this question is I think the whole the whole conversation of salvation we've really focused on like the subjective or the personal aspect of that and what i think we're seeing in the scriptures and our emphasis is on what jesus has done 2000 years ago um yeah. regardless of what someone thinks about it or regardless of their opinion about it or regardless <laughs> right. if they believe it or not the question yeah. is like did jesus really die for sin yeah. did he really reconcile the cosmos now there's a subjective, personal, right, embracing of that that we would affirm absolutely. 
right? Mm. We talk about like the necessity of faith and I, I, I will agree. Like we, we get right up to the line of like this universal, you know, you know, universalism or, you know, however you mm-hmm. want to say it, but all we're really saying, we're not saying everyone will be saved. What we're saying is Jesus definitively and objectively did something in his dying and rising. Yeah. And the gospel is not potentially good news, right? It's not this, um, um, it, it's not a, um, it's not a proposition, right? It's an actual declaration that yeah. some, that he has done something definitively historically for us that right. happened. You can't change it. You can't tweak it. You can't undo it by your believing it. You don't make it more true you, by your not believing it. You don't make it less true. Yep. So that's all we're saying is he has done something. There is an announcement. It is done. So we yeah. don't, and what's coming out in the parables of the kingdom is we're included. He literally did this on behalf of the world. So we don't move from exclusion and then we believe, and then we're included. We actually find out that this like encompassing and engulfing work that Jesus did in his dying and rising, where he literally represents the world because he became flesh. <laughs> like he, right. he merged himself with the thing that like the created world. And he, when he, when he dies, he doesn't just die as this cool little like nugget off in the distance that maybe you can grab hold of. He actually does something for us. Yes. But he does something to us. And we, and in our embracing of that, we actually yeah. just awaken to the thing that's already been done. That's probably the best way I can describe it. And I'm I, not saying it's good. <laughs> No, I, I think you're spot on, man. I think I think this rich young ruler that was referenced, you know, in the question that came in really represents all of us. We have an idea of righteousness and what's needed. We have some sense of enoughness that we're trying to achieve in this life, right? That's where religion comes in. And I think we often come to it with our to-do list. We come to it with our report card. We yeah. come to it with an idea of a scorecard that's actually out there that, you know, that there's this God and this celestial bookkeeping department, right? That's got a file on everybody in hand who's really working to hopefully get us all to this point. Um, like the cross is like some starting point almost, right? The cross is like a ladder. And it's like, no, the cross is the ending point. And the only ladder in the story is not the one that Jesus comes and erects for us. It's a ladder that he comes down when he becomes flesh. Mm-hmm. And then in his death and resurrection, he kicks down the ladder forever mm-hmm. and says, I now dwell with you and you in me. Mm-hmm. It's through my death and resurrection that you've been hidden in the righteousness of Christ. Colossians three says it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of our very reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all that went into making that our reality, dude, is exactly what you just unpacked. So, when Jesus reveals this, what love really means and looks like and demands to this rich young ruler to help him realize, nah, bro, you haven't done at all what it is that you think you've done. He's, you know, he's actually revealing this, like this brutal truth, right? And it's like the most loving thing that he could do for a guy who was drowning in his religious moralism yeah, and just help him just, just go, I, man, I freaking, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Bingo. You have That's to attend my life for your life. This, yeah. You, know? you have to attend your own funeral. You have to come to the point of your yeah. own death where the death of before the death of Jesus makes any sense. Yeah. Cause you know, I think oftentimes when the, within the church world, man, our objections, which I don't think this person was objecting to what they were saying, what we're saying as much as just going, Hey, I love this. And I see how it's true in light of these parables. What do I do with this one verse though? 
right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oftentimes, totally. due to my experience in life, man, a lot of objections come from the church world when you talk about what, when you actually just start saying what Jesus is saying, there's a lot of talk about like what we should or shouldn't do to improve the human race. And so like, that's ultimately at the core of right a lot of the pushbacks that are out there. And about that, dude, I'm just going to go ahead and read Galatians 3. Because I feel like that's where God just goes, yeah, I, I see your objection. And here's what I have to say about it. If there had been a law given that could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures have concluded all, okay, all things under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, right? All sin has been dealt with, dude. If there was a law, if there was a list, if there was anything that we could do to obtain righteousness, Surely to goodness, man, we would have, somebody would have come along and accomplished it, right? Mm -hmm. But there isn't. Instead, the law reveals our brokenness and the cross points to the one who absolves it because yeah. we couldn't. I think the I think the wrestling point is on the idea of if, if we're saying Jesus did something not just for the world, but to the world, yeah. like he has like a net, right? That spans from one end of the ocean to the other and drops to the floor and is moving towards right the end of time and is literally just picking up everything in its path it is engulfing the entire cosmos how are we saying you know that what well isn't just everybody saved then then why believe and it's like yeah i'll admit to you like it's a paradox it's a paradox of like yes he has rescued the world um and he has rescued those by faith. And Jesus has some real grisly words. He has some like some some words of warning for those who just insist on not believing. And so that's when we're getting into like the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and you know, all those kind of that kind of language that we're seeing in the parables in Matthew 13, which you had a really good thought on on that. Yeah, like imagine you know, those words in terms of it like it's finished. It's done. Yeah. It's a treasure. It's a pearl. Yeah. Like the, you know, the, on our recent podcast, man, when we're unpacking where Jesus, the kingdom of God, you know, it's like a, it's like a net that's been thrown in the sea and it's gathered right fish of every kind. It's got, you know, we, we unpacked all that. And when it was full, it says men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good, right? containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And I do, I just feel like that's a really cool point, man, that, that we didn't have time to really unpack, you know, on our last podcast, but you know, the word that that's used there, you know, um, Panaris is the word that's used there in the Greek. It's, it's, I love that that's used there for the word evil. Okay. And what Jesus is saying is like, yeah, in the end, there's going to be a separation of the evil from the righteous, but check this out. The word that's used here in the Greek language that Jesus taught in, all right, that was written down. It's not a moral or aesthetic badness. Okay. It's not uh, aesthetic as in like rotten. Okay. It's not rotten fish that don't make its way in. All right. It's not the, the less appealing, the less desirable, the less beautiful. Okay. That's not the word that he uses for evil, nor is it again, something that's moral, something that's morally bankrupt or, or narrow in a sense that doesn't make its way in. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't say that it's to, re it's, it's the people that at their core have utterly rejected the very righteousness of the King. That's what he's referring to when he talks about evil. It's an actual like wicked it's a willful evilness. It's a willful refusal. It's a, it's, it's, it's going to your grave. Okay. Like the father of lies, the scriptures say, um, calling God a liar. That's what he's saying. Panaris. So when he talks about this separation due to like the evil and the righteous, again, he's, he's saying that there are people who by faith have said he's righteous and I'm not. And by 
his death and resurrection, I've been hidden in his righteousness, as Colossians says. I believe this. He's my only hope. Okay, done. Amen. That's it. And then over here, what you have is evil in the end. Not morally bankrupt. Not uh, you're not beautiful. You're not pretty enough. You know what I mean? You don't qualify. No, no. Willful evilness. A willful refusal of the very righteousness that God has brought. That that is what separated. Yeah, and the weeping of gnashing of teeth is like somebody realizing twenty years later they could have bought Apple at its in- introductory price. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it first came out, it's like, dude, that's, what if, uh, that's what if the you, best way to put it? What if you imagine weeping and gnashing of teeth as like, dude, it was free. It was there. Yep. It was presented to me. God revealed himself. He made himself known. And I just hardened my heart. I insisted on my own way. I re- I rejected that thing that I knew that was true. And if you talk to somebody who ever passed up on a good deal years later, dude, they carry that. <laughs> like they like they could literally like punch a wall, like mm-hmm. destroy some stuff thinking about the, the good deal that they missed out on. So imagine yourself just weeping and gnashing at teeth of right. Like you're here, you're at the end of history and you just said no to the best freaking deal in the whole entire cosmos. Yeah, dude. Like if the word furnace there represents anything it's it's God basically just saying, look, in the end, there is nothing that's going to rain on my parade, nothing. And it will be the only show in town, man. And so what we see here is like the evil that Jesus speaks to. They're not the they're, the damned are not this uh, crowd of wistful people, you know what I'm saying, who are all pissed because God cut them out of a good deal. That's, that's not at all what we see here. Um, I think Capeman actually says it better than anybody I know. He says there are a bunch of unreconstructed haters who threw away the best deal they were ever offered and now can't find anybody but themselves to be furious with. Yeah. C.S. Lewis referred to it as, as, uh, as hell is populated with forgiven sinners. Think about that. As you mentioned earlier, starting out included, it's populated by forgiven sinners who just spent their entire lives calling God a liar and refusing the very righteousness, yeah. refusing to be clothed, refusing to be hidden in the very righteousness of the only one who's righteous. Yeah. And he says, so he says like CS Lewis says, so in the end, like you've got these people who, who God looks at and says, okay, you wanted to be separate from me forever. I'll grant your wish. Yeah. I think the, the phrase where Lewis goes, if you want to go to hell, God will let you, but you have to climb over the body of Jesus to get there. Dude, that's it, man. That's it. So the call of faith is accept your acceptance. Yeah. You are accepted. You are included. Accept your acceptance. acceptance. If you want to get counted in the bucket in the end, when the net arrives, um, accept your acceptance, yeah. or you can go on gasping for air on the beach. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. For sure. No, that's so there good. There it cause. is, man. So really quick. I just have a couple of, couple of thoughts that have been stirring from the, the last uh, handful of podcasts we've done. Um, and one is a, one is a quick thought and I have two, two small phrases. One is this. God's love is an inside job. So mm. talking about the kingdom uh, in these universal terms, right? Um, and obviously um, you have like this whole idea of like, you know, the treasures in the whole world. Seed is being thrown everywhere. Um, you know, you have wheat throughout the whole field. There's this idea of like my kingdom is, is everywhere. 
And so we've been talking a lot about universality of the kingdom. And one of our last on one of our last Larkcast posts, someone posted a well-known Abraham Kuyper quote, and they were connecting this quote to what we were saying. And it says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And what's funny is that I thought of that quote when studying the prep for the parable series, especially the universality of the kingdom. But I ended up not bringing it in, and here's why. The churches that I grew up in and was formed as a leader in, they emphasize God as a sovereign being in control and on his throne. But you always imagined him off in the distance, right? A lot of emphasis on throne, a lot of emphasis on he's on his throne, he's on his throne, he's Mm -hmm. sovereign. And you just pictured him as this like very powerful being off in the distance sitting on a throne. And I still believe God is like that. I still believe in like his, like his sovereignty. I mean, he is working out like his plan for human history. Right. So I still believe in that. And I think the parable of the weeds and the wheat teaches that and really all the parables, but the weeds really here we have is like this idea is what that throne and sovereignty language did was reinforce the idea of distance, separateness, and aloofness. And if there's anything that I'm seeing is that God's loves an inside job. Like mm-hmm. it's not like God's sitting off in the distance from a throne, pointing his finger down at the whole entire cosmos and saying, that's mine. Yeah. Like what a cranky child or something. Yeah. What he, yeah. what he's saying is like, no, like he came, like he, like he actually, he's in it. Like he meets the world by becoming flesh. It's an inside job, not an outside job. He doesn't just shout from a distance, but he actually comes so much so that it's likened to leaven inside of bread. And so I just, I thought of like, it's still, I still believe in a sense of God's, he's a King. Um, but, but man, he's, he's close. He's with us. He's near and he's near everyone, you know? And so instead of seeing it through that kind of like, you know, distance, separateness, aloofness, you see it in terms of presence invasive, like an invasive love, right? Like he is life for everybody. Um, he has rescued everyone in a single act of dying and rising. And so to me, it was just a, I think it was just a reminder that maybe my view of God has changed over the years and seeing that quote and not connecting with it, or maybe seeing the distance or the aloofness of God in it, I think was a reminder mm-hmm. that, huh, I think I've, I've gone through, through some shifts there. So he is a king, but not one that shouts at the world, but one who actually comes to the world is in the world, is that work in the world, is close to the world, is near to the world, is near to your neighbor, is near to your enemy, loves your enemy, rescued your enemy, gives life to your your neighbors and, and your enemies. And yeah, I think that that's really coming out in this parable, these parables, I should say. Yeah. That quote reminds me of like Colossians 1 is when I, because when I read that that quote, I thought about Colossians one. I love that passage because in it, God declares that the maker of all things has reconciled all things in heaven and earth. He's referring to all things. He's the maker of it all and the reconciler of it all. So there's no like, well, all means all just means all. Um, But then it goes on to verse 20 and says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mm -hmm. He reconciled, he made, he made peace through his cross, past tense, done, right? Yeah. As you were talking about earlier. And so I feel like I get this sense now when I think about like what God is like through passages like that, like in light of that quote, it's not him shouting mine the way my 
you know, my youngest who's, you know, four years old does when he's playing with his buds, you know what I mean? And there's only like one dump truck in the yard. Mm. Um, instead you almost kind of find him like kind of lean back in a chair. I feel like, like smoking like a really nice pipe with a glass of, you know, <laughs> Merlot in his hand. And he's Port. just sort of, you know, yeah. And somebody who's like all upset about something, he just sort of like winks and he's like, yeah, I know it's okay. It's mine. I got it. Yeah, it's not like, uh, if, and you'll find this funny if you've ever been on staff at a church, you know how like everyone got their own like cabinet in the kitchen and everyone's like labeling stuff with like scotch tape <laughs> and like putting the name of their ministry on everything. Like, don't freaking touch this lamp. This belongs to the children's yeah. ministry. <laughs> it's not like God's this executive sitting off in an office, you know, and everything's labeled like don't touch property of so-and-so and such and such, yeah. man, he, he, he is he owns the entire cosmos he made it but man he loves it not from a distance but and from, he's in it he's yeah. in it like yeah. and not even from up close like he literally became flesh dude yeah it, back to colossians 3 you're literally hidden in him he yeah. is your very life it says yeah and there are those who believe this and are enjoying this reality and there are those right who at this meet at this time mm-hmm. um are, are, are possibly you know refusing this yeah, but he's so, near to both. So, so amen, one, man. one last thought, and I'm just going to throw this out there and see if it connects with anybody. And if it does, then maybe I can maybe write maybe more of a blog post. Maybe we can do another podcast on it, but in the weeds and the wheat in particular, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that this master of this field, he plants good seed, but an enemy comes in and plants bad seed. And we talk about the universality of the kingdom that it's growing. The program is moving along though. We can't see it. It's hidden. It's a mystery. It doesn't work in these very big and powerful and expressive, like, you know, in the public eye kind of ways. Um, but the, that parable also brings us to another thing, which is hard for us to grasp. And I think easier to see in the world, which is the universality of evil and notice both grow together. And it seems that both are very, very strong and very, very healthy. In fact, it's kind of odd that the weeds aren't really jacking with the progress of the wheat, but at the same time, the weeds are growing in a very healthy way, right alongside of the weed itself. And so I think that parable, it begs us to have the conversation of the problem of evil or the universality of evil. And I think God's um, caution or instruction to the servants to let it be, I think is a struggle for most because for sure, and not a struggle for most, but for all of us, because we do find ourselves as the servants to want to just, to just get rid of it. We want it to be gone. Anybody who's ever suffered just wants their suffering to end. They want their pain to end. They want their discomfort, you know, to end. I don't know anybody in this world that has pursued discomfort or pursued pain or pursued suffering, right? Mm -mm. We want it to be done with. And we ask like, God, why? Right. Everybody asks why. And I don't necessarily have an answer for that other than to say this evil. I think suffering and pain is a mystery to enter into and not a problem to solve. When we ask why, I think we want very specific answers. And I don't know if the king of this kingdom is into giving us answers as much as he is to us discovering him as a lover. And here's what I mean by that. If we were to scrub the earth of all the evil and the pain and the suffering, all we would have left is a God who loves really nice, fine, holy, perfect people. We have a nice, shiny, kept up, right? Little white house with a white picket fence with a nice little garden in the back world that God's like, just gives a big fat thumbs up to and says, 
good job. Keep it up. But in discovering God as a lover, I think his love is magnified in the grisly, in the hard, in the difficult. And so I don't pretend to know why, and I don't have an answer for that, but I I have found in my mind and in my heart as I have watched friends suffer this last year, some very specific friends, even in the LARC community. Um, I found a little bit of comfort and I know I've shared some of these things with them and they've found some helps in realizing maybe evil is a mystery to enter into someone who's promises presence to us in it to just join him and trust him and have some humility instead of the constant questioning and wanting an answer. Cause you know what I've been, I've been seeing and saying recently when I see horrific news come across my feed, I used to ask why, like, dude, what is the freaking point of that? And suddenly I would be angry with God. Like, why would you allow, like, this is why, why would you allow this? I hate this. But the recently I've been saying this, when I see something jacked up, when I see something horrific, I say, I can't believe you love this world. Like I'm quite astonished by the fact that you love this world. Yeah, man. It's uh, it is pretty astonishing. There's zero doubt of that, and I would agree with you that suffering caused by evil um is something to enter into. And I have a variety of thoughts on this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's one of these yeah. things that philosophers have debated for years. And oh, let me just take two minutes and answer this for you. Yeah, that that's just not going to happen. Um, no. So either a, this is going to be a whole other podcast on this topic. B, it'll be some some blog posts that we can put out. C, it'll be a combination of both. But I think what you brought up is a great point, and I'd love to just let that let that sit there. And um, cheers to the last call, man. Cheers to the junk drawer. To the questions that come in, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, please help us keep passing on this good news to the friends in and around you. And by all means, any any thoughts, ideas, or questions you have, fire away. You can find us on Instagram, lark underscore social, and of course, right at our website, larksite.com, or shoot us an email, howdy at larksite.com. Love to hear from you. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. cheers.